the produce guys, Dan and Guido, up next. Yeah, it's far out. <laughs> what do you want from life? Chiquita banana and I've come to say Vegetables are very good for you Mom was right, eating veggies keeps us healthy Apples, peaches, bananas and pears Your produce alone has been worth the trip Live from the San Francisco Bay It's the Produce Pair your food show on the enjoyment of fresh fruits and vegetables. What's in season? What's fresh? At the store, at the farmer's market, in your backyard, and on your table. Speaking of fresh, here's your host, America's natural grocer, Dan the Produce Man, and Guido the Gardener. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Produce Pair on this fine, fine, lovely day. I'm Dan the Produce Man along with Guido the Gardener. Yes, that's right, folks. This is your weekend show to escape from the news of the week, the dreadful politics of the week, the all the other things that attack us during the week, and settle in here with some nice food. And what better guest to settle in with some great food than the cheese dude, Mark Todd, joins us. Mark, welcome to the Produce Pair. Well, thanks for having me. It's an excellent, uh, excellent adventure every time I come on with you guys. It's yeah, been a while. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you know, I was I tried to put even put dates on it, but let's not even talk about that because we shouldn't admit to being that old, period. Well, you know, folks, it's it's holiday time and cheese platters are usually a big gig at big parties. But in your home, in your family home, as we lie low this holiday, we can still enjoy fresh cheese with our fruits, our vegetables, our nuts, our seeds, our dried fruits. It's a great addition to any type of holiday spread that we're going to be enjoying. And so right now, it's apple season, it's pear season, it's even citrus season, of course, and a lot of nuts. So Mark, first of all, you're the cheese dude. You travel the world promoting cheese and doing cheese tastings for people. That's uh, th- that's actually hard for me to fathom, but yeah, it's been almost th- coming up on close to three decades I've been doing cheese the last 15 years, mostly overseas, promoting all the wonderful things that uh, the United States produces all around the world. Uh, and educating chefs, uh, young chefs and older chefs on ways to use and uh, utilize cheese better. And some countries that you have gone to were not really big cheese countries to begin with. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I would say uh, like China, Korea, (laughs) Japan, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. Those were not big cheese countries. The Middle East was more cheese-ish, you know, Dubai and uh, Saudi and Egypt and Morocco and those areas. They've they've had cheese for thousands of years, but Asia, not so much. Uh, South uh, East Asia, particularly. That must have been. A they love of- it. We got we got pizza in their mouth twenty five years ago. Now they're addicted. That must have been a heck of a challenge, though, to to introduce folks to cheese that don't culturally gravitate or culinarily. And culturally, actually, gravitate to it. Yeah. If I if I told you what the old generation of China considered a glass of milk, it would probably get bleeped by most of the censors. They did not consider it to be an edible product at all. So the new generation is much more worldly in every country I've been to. And they have 
I mean, I have a picture of myself in front of the Sphinx and you turn 180 degrees away from the Sphinx and there is Pizza Hut looking the Sphinx right in the face, in the face. <laughs> so we are everywhere. We have, we have gotten the world on board with the, the American pizza industry. And that brings cheese to every plate. That's the, that's the entry, the gateway drug to cheese love. Never figured it would start that's with it. pizza. Of course. Okay. And well, going from the Sphinx to here. Locally, you're involved in all kinds of, I mean, I see your Instagram at Mark Todd, the cheese dude. And I see that's your me. Instagram. You're all over the place with this cheese. So, and here you yep. are today with us. We spent uh, two years in uh, Dubai going over multiple four or five times a year, uh, launching a brand new culinary program, a uh, six eight hour days of culinary training on cheese at the ICCA, the culinary school in Dubai. And uh, they were our test market for it. Now it's going to be brought out worldwide by the United States Dairy Export Council. So finally, the first time in the world, there's going to be cheese training in culinary school. They'll know what they are. They'll know how to use them. They'll know why there's all the different kinds. And because before all they did was say, here, cut it and make it look pretty. And now it's like, no, this is how it cooks. This is how it, to store it. This is all the different ways to use it. And that has been, that's consumed me for the last basically five years, getting that project up through them. Well, that's they, did, they did it. I just helped. <laughs> yeah. You can't beat that. I mean, that's a good gig. So yeah. speaking of storing cheese, before we get into fruit and cheese and the other th other things, speaking of storing cheese, say somebody buys a wheel of brie or a, or, a, or a pie slice of brie and brings it home or any kind of cheese, and they're not going to eat it for a couple of days. Maybe they're not going to eat it for a week. I mean, what should they do? Just stick it in a Ziploc bag and throw it in the, the deli drawer or into the refrigerator? Or can you freeze it? Well, it, it depends entirely upon which cheese cheese you're referring because to say all they're not all the same when you said brie that immediately brings in a, a whole range of other needs because it has mold on the outside which if you want it to continue to ripen it needs to stay uncut once you cut into that wheel the ripening stops so once you have cut it and wrapped that wedge it's not going to get much better than what it was the day it was cut if you want to get it to be smoother softer and creamier leave it whole wait for it to be soft then cut it up and eat it. But once you own that brie, your best bet is to keep it in a breathable wrap, like a wax paper or uh, something like that, that won't make it die. And then put that second containment, like a Ziploc. So wrap it loosely in a, or, you know, tightly in butcher paper or wax paper, and then Put it in Ziploc. That'll keep that mold from going anyplace else. Blue cheese, when you cut it, you want to wrap it as tightly as you can with the cling film and keep all the air away as much as you can and then put that in a secondary containment as well because that will mold whatever else you've got, including all of your beautiful produce and vegetables. The rest of the cheeses that don't have mold involved with them, you cut them or you leave them, if you buy them in a whole piece, leave them in a whole piece till the minute you want to use them, open them up, Cut them, let them come up to room temperature, eat them. That's your best bet with any of any of the other cheeses from soft, fresh cheeses like uh, Chev all the way through Parmesan. Leave it in the original container it came in. It's probably better than what you could do rewrapping it. And once you open it, use what you want to use, rewrap it with fresh plastic wrap and put it immediately back in the fridge. Okay, so that's how you enjoy a, a nice, good block of cheese to keep it nice and fresh and, and ripe and the whole bit. But in the stores today, folks are really in a convenience and there's so many options of sliced up cheddars and, and cubed. And all the normal, the, all the, uh, the top yeah. cheeses, cubed. And, yeah. Well, let me 
spice and me, all that. Me, so how, how do people deal with that? Let me explain something about aroma and flavor. What happens when you smell? What physically is going on when you go, oh, that smells wonderful. Physically, molecules are jumping off of the surface of that product, going through the air and attaching themselves inside your nose. That's aroma, right? Right. right. If you can smell it, it's losing flavor. Okay. Ah. When you cut a piece of cheese, say cheddar, when you cut a fresh piece of cheese, the aroma on the surface of that fresh cut piece of cheese, half of that aroma is gone in 20 seconds. Wow. Okay. So how much in advance do you want to slice your cheese? Right. Just before you eat it. Oh, so, so everybody's, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So the processing plant is enjoying the aroma and yeah. there's That's generations right. of people now that just want convenience that will never know that experience because they buy for convenience. They're all chopped up and ready to roll. And if, if you buy the shingle pack slices that are vacuumed, one they're, they're sliced and immediately vacuum packed. When you open those, those are fairly fresh. And when you fresh peel one off of the one behind it, you do get a fresh flavor and aroma of cheese. The ones that I think are the hardest that are almost useless to try to even eat or anything that's been shredded you know mozzarellas and things like that once it's shredded it's only only purpose is cooking at that point because sure. the well, aroma is dull parmesan you know why do you, you ever notice in an italian restaurant they don't bring it a, 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 you go to a nice one right they bring you fresh parmesan cheese with a grater and grate it on your salad or your soup cheap places bring you a bowl of grated dust right. That's that's right. Right. there's nothing like well, a parmigiano know, reggiano sliced oh my gosh i mean and when you when you if you ever are around one of those wheels of reggiano when they first pop it open it's about 65 70 pounds if they open it with the nap with the traditional tools it breaks and makes a huge crack sound i mean it, it literally almost sounds like it explodes yeah and i used to do that at my store I, yeah. yeah if you're there the aroma that hits your face instantly is baked pineapple you get the smell of of pineapple upside down cake instantly because there's That's an ester right in though, there so. that is exactly the same as an extra ripe pineapple from a cheese wheel from from parmigiano reggiano specifically wow. 24 wow. month old it get every wheel in the world has it yeah i i used to experience that when i had my store we'd buy the big blocks of big wheels of uh, parmigiano reggiano yep. those were tough to cut you know you'd use guitar strings and everything else but it it worked out well it was it was a lot of fun and the wrapping that up and and that sold those pieces oh yeah just sold like crazy and yep. since that time i have never bought a grated parmesan grated. or, or yeah, shredded. Yeah, yeah. i've always bought it brought home yep. a big, same with the granite padana as well that which is is cheese. basically the same cheese if you if you thought if you think about like a, a california and tulare county is next to i think modesto county let's say and if your cheese is made in Modesto County, you call it Reggiano Parmesan. If your cheese is made next door, it's called Grana Padano. If your okay. farm is split down the middle between these two different regions in Italy, half of your cheese is Grana Padano, half of your cheese is Reggiano Parmesan. You cannot mix those two herds. Wow. Even if it's the same cows and the only difference is the road goes through the middle of your freaking farm <laughs> in the same valley. Half of that half of that milk can be Reggiano Parmesan, half is Grana Padano. Reggiano gets a third more money. But that's that's that uh, the DOP, that's the designation of origin that uh, Europe is very privatized about, very important to them to keep it very tight. And in their book, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, 
you're out. Try and get a place on the right side of the road. Hey, folks, we're talking with Mark Todd, the cheese dude here on The Produce Pair. When we come back, we're going to talk about some fresh produce and cheese pairings for your holidays and for any day, actually. Make it a wonderful life. We'll be back after this. This is Graham Care. Hello. Here's some more food news that you can enjoy. The next time you're looking for a main dish for a dinner party or potluck, why don't you consider an old family favorite, vegetable lasagna? Ah, it's, it's so easy to assemble. Um, travels well, and nobody can resist the golden crust, all those hot, luscious layers underneath. But be sure not to forget the vegetables. You see, you can add a good quality bottled tomato sauce, be creative with the filling with mushrooms, spinach, broccoli, carrots, zucchini, onions, eggplant. The possibilities are literally endless. Finish it off with a low-fat mozzarella or ricotta cheese, sprinkling of fresh oregano, and you'll be lucky if there's any leftovers. So go on, do yourself a flavor. Enjoy your five or more servings of fruit and vegetables every day. That's the good news from the National Cancer Institute. Hey folks, Dan the Produce Man here. Thank you for tuning in to the Produce Pair Podcast. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and our Instagram page and join the over 7 million people who have viewed the Dan the Produce Man YouTube page. We don't I show you tips on fresh fruits and vegetables and all kinds of other great goodies. So while you're not listening to the podcast, you can tune into our YouTube page and connect with us on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Stick around. The Produce Pair will be right back. You talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. You even got through that conversation about sex. Now, isn't it time you talk to them about lunch? With all the talk about being overweight, experts agree that eating five to nine servings of colorful fruits and vegetables and being active every day will help our kids stay healthy and fit. Eat smarter. Be active. Get healthy, America. Now back to the produce pair. Now then, some cheese, please, my good man. Certainly, sir. Okay, we're back with Mark Todd, the cheese dude. I'm Dan, the produce man, along with... Guido the gardener. This is the produce pair radio show, and today we are with the cheese dude, at Mark Todd, the cheese dude. On Instagram, any other social media, Mark? No, I avoid it like the plague. Okay. First time I heard Facebook, I thought that meant what happened at, at the end of an evening when you're reading and you fall asleep with your face in the book. <laughs> hey, Mark, the the produce departments are full, uh, you know, fall winter full of apples, apples and pears, and that's kind of like the first the, the first thing when you think of like cheese, cheese and, and, and fruit. And um, the fav- well, my my favorite pair is actually a Concord pear, which is soft, or or, or a Comise pear, which is kind of soft and fruity. But my wife is is uh, a Bosque snob, which you know the russet, long tapered neck, russet mm-hmm. brown color, and right. fir- firmer, and the flavor is kind of spicy. Now I was going to uh, say it's it's spicier. It's it's almost. Um... The, the Bosque, I get almost like they're already been cinnamon sugar. You get a yeah, little of that, that that cinnamon sugar spicy flavor out of them. Yeah, um, it's a pretty bold flavor. Yes, indeed. So what uh-huh. given given that the, the pear itself is fairly strong, what kind of 
what kind of cheese uh, would you pair with that if you're if you've got a you know little hors d'oeuvre platter to serve? Right. If you well, the, those the two that you're talking about there uh, um, with with the comis that is like you say much more of a um, a sweet fruity pair. Um, right. uh, it, it's got a sweet finish to it. That's going to go very well with uh, a a full bodied blue cheese. Uh, because that that sweetness is going to balance out the salty earthiness of the blue. Gotcha. So um, there's also one of the enzymes that ripens blue cheese is exactly the same enzyme you find on the surface, particularly of that comey style, the softer flesh pears. And so they go beautifully together. Your, your tongue actually does kind of flip flops on the enzyme. It can't tell which it's hitting first, the pear or the blue cheese. And for that blue cheese, I would go with like a, uh, what I would call like a fudgy style blue cheese. Uh, in California, there's one from uh, Point Reyes called Bay Blue. From the East Coast, there's one called uh, Bailey Hazen Blue. If you're a European cheese fan, I would say Forme d'Ambert from France would be a good pair well, for that pair. For the, the other one, for the, uh, the spicy uh, French pair, you're looking more like Comté or a Beaufort, kind of that Gruyere-ish style cheese. Uh, the firmer kind of Manchego or something. Mountain cheese with wash rind. Uh, Manchego would work well. Uh, Manchego is pretty classic with Membrillo quince paste that I'm sure you probably have there. Oh, yes, uh, yes. That, yes. That's a classic pairing. Which one's uh, that? So with, the, with, the with the quince paste, what's the name of that cheese? With the Manchego. It's oh, a yeah. classic yeah. cheese of Spain. La Mancha, Spain. It's a sheep milk cheese. That's one of the few cheeses. It's available from uh, one month old all the way through two to five years. That's one of the few cheeses. I actually like it when it's quite young. When it's in the, the one to three month age, it's very uh, soft and creamy and has that bright sheep milk richness. It's very distinct when it's young that it is a sheep's milk cheese. And uh, I like that. I like it. And the texture is beautiful. When it gets older, it's still a great cheese. But the texture changes, the aromas change, and your perception of it changes because of the moisture content. So for, for Manchegos, I like them particularly one to three month. If you can get it under six, it's my favorite, yeah. And it goes great with Membrillo. It goes great with most of the dried fruit pastes, uh, fig paste, any of them. Ooh, yeah, the pastes. I forgot about the pastes. That's mm -hmm. great. What, and what about some nuts that would go with, with the Bosque pear and the Manchego or cheddar? My favorite pairing there would be the Bosque pear with a Alpine mountain cheese, with a, with a Gruyere or a Comte or a Beaufort. They're all similar. Uh, I would do those uh, with, with roasted almonds, salted roasted almonds. If I'm doing the Manchego with the Membrillo, I would do those two and then bring in either a, a uniquely flavored cheese or a, a nut like uh, pistachio or just go with a super creamy like uh, cashew. Both of those would be a really good pair with that combo. Okay, so uh, let's see here. And what about a sharp cheddar? A nice sharp- Oh, my favorite. Char cheddar cheese, the single most popular cheese in the world, according to Monty Python. That's it. Uh, yeah. Monty Python says so. It must be true. And we don't get much call for it around here, though. Uh, no, sorry. Um, there's two styles of cheddar in, in the world. The original old-style cheddar, uh, they call it English or cave-age cheddar, is cheddar that is made usually in large wheels that are about 60 pounds and uh, a big barrel shape. And those are then aged in what they would call cave age, meaning at about 50 to 55 degrees temperature. Which is about the temperature of my back room here, about 50 degrees. Yes, I tell you. That's Woo. about my house too. My house is a perfect <laughs> cheese aging cellar. 
<laughs> so at 50, it builds up acids, different acids very quickly. So in 18 months, a cave age cheddar is intensely sharp. So cheeses like Fiscalini, the world's greatest cheese has been voted three times now, world's greatest cheddar comes out of Modesto, California. Uh, their 18 month natural banded cheddar is the greatest English style cheddar on the planet. Really? And that is sharp, fruity, intense, dry and crumbly, but just intensely fruity. So that's one style. Then when we got to America and we had refrigerators, we started making cheeses that we aged at 44 degrees or 42 or 40 or 38, much colder refrigerators. They are completely different cheese. That's what your orange cheese from Wisconsin. That's the Canadian big blocks of cheddar. Those are cold cured cheddar. Hey, don't forget though, Vermont that, white cheddar. That's a, that's a, that's a cold cured Vermont white cheddar. Most of them, not all, of them, but most of them. Yeah. Especially those, this time of year. Those are clean, smooth, perfectly even flavor and they will last 10 to 20 years more i've had them up to 40 but those are called long hold stir curd for long hold and they are they're made in big blocks and they are just let to set turned over every couple of months those will age for months for years and years the natural cave aged ones two to three years is about it and they get too strong to eat what was the name of that modesto a number one cheese fiscalini f-i-s-c-i-l-i-n-i f-i-s-c-a-l-i-n-i fiscalini f-i-s-c-a-l-i-n-i they can find in in their local grocer or would would that is that more Uh, specialty cheese Whole Foods-ish type places will carry it in many regions. It will be rotated in with other specialty cheeses like them from other manufacturers, but it's certainly available on the web. They ship every place in the world. And when I say they won the best, uh, the cheddar, they beat England at cheddar in England at the World Cheese Awards in London three times as the best cheddar in the world. So, Hey, Modesto, California. (laughs) There There is yet another claim to fame outside of Gallo wine. Yeah, well, you know, hey, one out of three salesmen in America that sells wine got trained by Gallo. So don't complain, man. (laughs) Well, okay. So I guess I'm getting from this conversation is that the warmer aged cheese with less time is going to be the better eating experience or the, the most flavorful enjoyable eating experience you could get more fullness out of the cheddar than the colder ripened cheese is that correct they're just they're like two completely different cheeses yeah they they don't taste if you put them next to each other they don't taste anything alike you if you taste the aged cheddar the wisconsin cold cured cheddar style you'll go oh yeah that's sharp cheddar that's like i had from tillamook that's like i had from cabot that's like i had from black diamond that's like i had from all of those companies and it's extra sharp or three year or five year. But the first time you have a, a raw milk, naturally aged, cave aged cheddar, you'll go, wow, what is that? How come the back of my jaw is just smacking shut? What are those flavors? What's that tropical fruit smell I have? It's a completely different experience. Is there any great, uh, like, uh, what are those little diamonds that's inside the cheese? Oh, yeah, the tyrosine or tyrosine, an amino acid that comes out of solution. It usually drops out at about 18, starts at about 18 months. So any cheese that's over about 18 months will start to have those little cheese diamonds in them. The more you'll get them. I actually like it. Oh, yeah. It it shows a well-aged cheese. It shows a cheese that was aged in proper temperature, proper humidity, and at the right time, it gave up that amino acid and said, okay, I'm ready for the next stage. So that is a sign of, of ripening. It, it absolutely is. And I, I 
love to get them too. Age goudas, like uh, you get a four-year-old, just butterscotch, dark brown age gouda with those nice mm. crystals in it. And it's got that kind of butterscotch, peak whiskey kind of flavor to it. Man, that's an amazing cheese. And, and that's another that... one that goes great with your pears. Yeah, I guess that would go good with some scotch too, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Gurgle, gurgle. I could imagine. So we're going to take another quick break, but I'm going to ask you the question that you probably get asked quite often because we want to get it out there for our listeners. Why is some cheddar cheese orange when it's really produced white? What is the deal? Here's the deal. The common story is that as cheesemakers, particularly the uh, farm wives in the Middle Ages were making cheeses when they made more than the family could eat, they sold them at the farmer's markets. Um, People that were buying cheeses at the farmer's markets would look at them, smell them, taste them, and the color was important. The butterier color of the cheese, the more money typically you got for your cheese at the market. Um, Women that were very good business people, they realized that if you're looking for more color, we can help. There's ways to add color to food. So they started to use things like marigold leaves. I kid you not, at one point they even used rust. But it was a... That's uh, that's one way of getting iron in your diet. In your diet, baby, I'm telling you. But uh, not my my chosen way. But they... uh, So that was how they started to lightly color the cheeses. And in typical fashion, if a little's good, a lot must be better. The, The French came at it slightly differently. One of their cheeses that's not as well known, but I I love, called Mimolette. It's like a cannonball, and it's intentionally they allow these cheese mites to eat the outside, so it kind of gets powdery on the outside, and it looks funky as hell. But you cut it open, and it's orange. It's like this orange cannonball, and it's waxy and hard. It's even denser than Gouda, and uh, it has a texture like no other cheese I've ever seen. But they started making theirs colored in the 1800s um, to differentiate it against the Dutch, the House of Orange, with whom they were having bad relations, and they wanted to be able to, to... say this is a French cheese, not a Dutch cheese. So it's orange. In America, in England, they did it primarily because they got more money and then it just became the thing. If you look back in American history, when we first settled here, we told England to take a long walk on a short pier and our cheeses, all the New England cheeses, Vermont, New York, New Jersey, they're all white cheddar. They had no way to get, they had no way to get the the colorings that, that England had access to. So they just made white cheddar. When we got Wisconsin, middle of the 1800s, we were back in, in international work and we were shipping cheese back to England who wanted it orange. Wisconsin started making orange cheddar. Right. So to this day, if you grew up on this side of the Mississippi, you grew up with orange cheddar. You on the other side of the Mississippi, you grew up with white cheddar. Okay. And you said that before they colored it, the more buttery colored the cheese was, the more it would sell. So what would naturally cause a more buttery color before they would even color it further? The, the, uh, the breed, breed of cow and diet. The certain breeds will process carotene differently from grass. So if you're eating, if you're a cow and you're eating fresh grass and you're like a Jersey cow and you're processing that carotene very efficiently and it's going right in, or not efficiently, and it's going right into your milk, then your milk becomes yellower. And if you've ever seen Jersey milk, it's white, but it looks so buttery, it's kind of white, off-white, eggshell, ecru. And that is because it's got more fat and protein in it. Okay, there you go. Folks, Mark Todd the Cheese Dude is our guest. We are the Produce Pair, and we'll be back right after this. In the last 30 years, childhood obesity in America has tripled. 
Today, one in three kids is already overweight or obese. This is registered dietitian Melissa Joy Dobbins for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Good nutrition is key to fighting childhood obesity. These tips can help your child stay healthy. Recruit them to the kitchen. Preparing meals teaches kids about healthy foods like lean proteins, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and low-fat dairy. Make sure to get 60 minutes of physical activity every day. Make it a family activity. And avoid sugary or caffeinated beverages. Give kids water, low-fat milk, and 100% fruit juices. To keep your whole family healthy, see a registered dietitian and visit www.eatright.org. Encouraging you to eat right, I'm registered dietitian Melissa Joy Dobbins with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Hey folks, Dan the Produce Man here. Thank you for tuning in to the Produce Pair Podcast. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and our Instagram page and join the over 7 million people who have viewed the Dan the Produce Man YouTube page. We don't I show you tips on fresh fruits and vegetables and all kinds of other great goodies. So while you're not listening to the podcast, you can tune into our YouTube page and connect with us on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Stick around. The Produce Pair will be right back. I pledge allegiance to the produce pair at ProducePair.com and to the produce for which they stand, one nation under Dan and Guido, indivisible with produce and produce for all. Say cheese! This is America. I demand my cheese. Cheddar, mozzarella, and a Monterey Jack. You guys are fantastic, really. The produce pair, are they fantastic or what? <laughs> Well, folks, welcome back to the Produce Pair. Mark Todd, the cheese dude, is our guest today. And Mark Todd joined us several years ago when we were on the radio, on the Talk America Radio Network, in Join the show quite often, so we're very happy to have him on the podcast today. So, Mark, cheese and coffee, cheese and tea, cheese and nuts. I love a good dark roast coffee. I know most of the caffeine is roasted out of it at that point, but I like the bold flavor. You know, it's funny you would say that. (laughs) Uh, While I've been sitting at, at home from COVID this year, one of my most outstanding clients actually asked us to do pairings with cheese and coffees. Coffee beverages, cheese and teas, all the different styles of tea, um, cheese and cocktails, cheese and mocktails, all different sort of non-traditional cheese pairing beverages, as well as what went with them, all the dried fruits or nuts that would go along with those pairings. I was very surprised in in my research on coffee to find that we have all been laboring under a um, misconception on caffeine and roast. Yeah, no. What? Caffeine and roast? The the amount of caffeine and the degree of roast. Oh, okay. okay. That's bunk. (laughs) <laughs> is it really? Uh, it really is. It, it does okay. decrease slightly, but not very much. Oh, okay. um, if, well, you, if you burn it to the point where you can't even eat it anymore, it will degrade the caffeine. But if you don't think it has caffeine in it, then sit down at a nice uh, Italian espresso stand and put four shots down in 10 minutes uh-huh. and tell me how well it doesn't have caffeine. <laughs> okay. I did that. I, I was doing cheese and tea and uh, cheese and coffee pairings. When I was doing espresso, I'm pairing that with 20 different cheeses. That was about 12 shots of espresso. Oh, I drank yeah. that day. Wow. There was no sleep that night. 
so yeah, dark roast does not get the caffeine out. Trust me on this one. What I will say is there are many different flavors that show up at the different degrees of roast. Light roast, medium roast, dark roast, and, and espresso roast or Italian roast. They all produce very different flavors in the final coffee product. And that really makes a difference in what kind of uh, what kind of cheeses you're going to be pairing them with. Light roast coffees have much more of a uh, floral flavor to them, uh, much more of a... Um, bright flavor. The darker roasts have more of the uh, coffee or the chocolate-ish flavors to them. So it just, a lot of it depends on what style of coffee bean it is. I learned about where they come from and why that makes a difference and how altitude makes a difference in the density of the bean. And there is so much to know about coffee. It's just, it was a fascinating, um, fascinating dive for me. I thought I knew something about coffee, but wow, <laughs> there's a lot to know. <laughs> Wow, that no, that's good information. You know, I, in fact, I'm drinking an Italian roast right now, and I'll give a shout out to Motherload Roasting Company in Sonora. There you uh, go. Just makes a fantastic. I used to work at this place in San Francisco for a short period of time. It was a grocery store, and it was in the Tenderloin, and it was pretty amusing. I did produce there for about a year, but I would go out on the dock, and I would smell coffee roasting. Where is that coming from? So I asked one of the employees, well, it's right around the corner. On Polk Street. It's a place called Reed Teller in Freed. And so I went in there. I said, I'll take French roast, Italian roast, whatever blends you have. Uh, just give me three or four. And I brought them back to the store. It was a beautiful, gorgeous Victorian building. And I would roast it, brew it up there at the store. And everybody at the store, for forget the company coffee. Let's go with the Freed Teller in Freed. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. They built condos mm. in its place. Beautiful building. But this Motherload Roasting Company is the closest thing that I have ah. come to their dark roast. I like a when I grind the beans and they're dark, I want them to be dark when they're ground too, not turn brown. So that's how dark I like the roast. Yeah, the uh, um, my my first experience with real coffee came uh, when I was living in Berkeley, going to school, and uh, this was some time ago. Let's put it this way: the Police were still a very popular new band, and uh, there was a roastery that was down the street from where I was living in a flop house on Shattuck, and uh, it was called Pete's. And um, they made their own roasted their own coffee there, and we all thought that was pretty cool and new and unique because there was no such thing as Starbucks yet. There was just you know the coffee you got at the diner. So when Mr. Pete came out with this one particular blend he made called Major Dickinson, um, and it's a blend of several different continents and several different roasts. But when I first tasted that coffee in his shop there, I just, I was transformed. I thought to myself, this is coffee. Are you kidding? I, what have I been drinking? Wet cardboard water? <laughs> right. And and I, I to this day, that's still one of my favorite blends in the world. And Pete's now very world famous. He's one of the original West Coast roasters. He's the guy that people that worked for him went and did Starbucks and got and Starbucks roasted. I mean, Pete's roasted Starbucks coffee for the first year or two years before they got them, their feet under him. So there, the Pete's was the 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 colonel that started the starbucks which started the coffee movement around the world so that's who turned me on to coffee and he was still alive when i was there and he took his coffee as seriously as anybody i've ever seen take any product i mean that man knew more about coffee than any human i'd ever even thought of knowing and i didn't know him i just heard him talking a few times i was some dumbass college student and now they're headquartered right here in my hometown that's it 
Okay, so cheeses with different coffees. What cheese? So with a dark roast, with an Italian uh-huh. roast or an espresso, what would you recommend? Well, what I found is, um, particularly if you're going with a straight espresso, if you go with no ad- adulteration at all with like a straight double espresso, then you're, you, there's a, a range of cheeses that will do pretty well with that. But if you add just, I don't even know, probably an eighth of a tablespoon of sugar, just, I mean, enough to really fill the back of your pinky fingernail. It changes the acid balance in that coffee and makes it taste pretty good with almost all the cheeses. I was amazed how well just black coffee with just a hint of sugar went with a wide range of cheese from soft, fresh cheeses all the way up through hard cheeses. It did not go as well with blues, but coffee and blues did not seem to be as good a pairing as I had hoped it would be. There were some teas that did pretty well with blues. I did all the range of teas, white tea, yellow tea, green, sencha, green Chinese, black tea, or red tea as they call it, pu'er, every level talked about how they all produce completely different beverages. Tea is the most commonly consumed beverage in the world. And in America, we know virtually nothing about it. The tea that we consume is basically like uh, using filet mignon to make uh, hamburgers. You know, we, we brew all these beautiful teas and then make iced tea out of it with sugar and lemon. You don't taste the tea, you know. So there are so many beverages that pair well with tea. And the great thing was dried fruit and dried nuts was the glue that held it all together. Some combination of a, of a perfect dried fruit from a dried pineapple, an apricot, a dried cherry, uh, dried strawberries. We use dried mango, dried papaya, and those uh, also with uh, 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 figs, dates. Dates oh, were awesome. Man, yes, dates, yes, and blue, uh, dates. dates and hard cheese with uh, straight black coffee killer killer combination so that was that really made it work and we focused on uh, hazelnut cashew nut uh, roasted almonds uh, pistachios walnuts and uh, peanuts and we found uh, cashews are basically velcro they go with everything there's nothing that isn't improved by adding a cashew to it Uh, but the uh, the nuts like almond and pistachio that have a much more distinctive flavor those will either make a pairing really great or it'll destroy it completely uh, because they bring such so much more distinctive flavor to the plate. Hazelnut too, because of its slight bitter finish, is one that can open up flavors in the cheese. Or if the cheese is a slightly bitter style cheese as it is, it can bring out and accentuate that bitterness, which you don't want. But between that range of nuts and that range of dried fruits, we managed to pair almost all of the cheeses that we had from soft fresh through breeze through monterey jackson and aged cheddars and dry jacks and asiagos and parms and blues and all sorts of cheeses and we found some range of dry nut and dried fruit that would bring those together almost every time fantastic i'm a big fan of sheep feta a good sheep feta which obviously goes great with tomatoes and sure what kind of fruits because of the saltiness of that cheese. watermelon, oh, I tell of you, course, yes, my God, yes, the watermelon. I'm telling. Salad. First time I tried that, uh, the goat. Uh, I, I had a goat sheep, a Greek goat sheep wa- um, uh, feta with uh, fresh watermelon. They did orange and and red watermelon, and then they did uh, chiffonade of uh, mint and spearmint, and it was just so refreshing unbelievably slap your face good so that's my favorite thing with feta but anything that's really sweet uh feta because of its high salt content and really low ph content or ph level requires a fair amount of sugar to balance that out it goes well with fresh pineapple um it goes well 
with, it goes okay with what I would call the dried stone fruits, dried apricots, dried peaches, dried, uh, even it'll go with dried pears. But my favorite is the watermelon and uh, pineapple, fresh pineapple are the two things I think feta does best with. There's basically about four styles of feta in the world. It goes from very mild to really strong. And if you want mild, you want to go with French feta. That's the mildest. Valbrezo is one of the brand names. If you want to go with a medium, medium would be like American feta or uh, Israeli feta. Greek is the next strongest and the strongest is out of Bulgaria. Uh, Bulgaria yeah. will be like rip your lips off feta. That's my favorite, the Bulgarian yep. and, then the, and then the Greek. I heard one time that also it depends on the time of the year and how much the sheep sweats that's going to change the flavor of the feta. Is that correct? If it's I, really hot, they sweat more and the cheese is kind of... I've never heard it pegged actually to perspiration, but okay. certainly temperature will affect the flavor and the composition of milk and it will affect the flavor and composition of the milk will affect how that goes into a, a cheese product. Absolutely. In the Central Valley, if you have days where it's 108, the milk from those days is very different than four days later when it's only 78 degrees. So it, it does make a difference in the composition of the milk, you bet. Some will, some cheesemakers will even say, you know, oh, it got too hot today. I'm just going to feed the milk to my pigs. I'm not even making cheese today. You know, little farm guys, if it, if the milk, if it was too hot to make cheese that day, they just feed the milk to the pigs. Um, you get milk-fed pork. That's it. Why do you think? What do you think makes prosciutto? Oh, oh really? Okay. You know why prosciutto is what it is? No, I don't. I have no idea. Comes from the same reason as, as Parma. Comes from the same place they make Parmigiano Reggiano. Oh, okay. Like they the do right all side the way of the road, huh? Parmigiano. Those pigs are eating away from Parmesan. That's what makes the pig there so unique. Is, is eating that Parmesan whey every day. Mm-mm, good. And pigs love whey. They just love it. And I guess what the pigs eat depends on how the pork is going to, or the ham, or sure. the prosciutto, whatever it is, is going to. If you're if you're into dried meat, then you know that there's the, the the animals that are in the northern part of Italy when they're out eating chestnuts. The meat is a very different flavor than the ones that come from northern Spain where they're eating acorns. The diet makes a huge difference in what the meat tastes like. If, if I'm not a hunter, but I have friends from Wisconsin, and they allow them to hunt black bears if you have a permit. And they're, the season that they allow them to hunt black bears is at the very end of the blackberry season. Guess why? Oh, okay. So you're going to get a sweet Because the bear meat tastes really good then because they've been eating blackberries for two months. So it's very sweet and tasty bear meat, as I've opposed to the beginning meat. of the year where they're eating oysters and clams and whatever they can dig out of the, of the ocean and dead animals left over from the winter. Bear meat's not really tasty in the spring. I would never think of something like that. Me you know, either. It's interesting. No, it never occurred to me. We had a lady that used to come into the store all the time. She always demanded a specific prosciutto to go with figs and a shev cheese uh, yeah. out of Sonoma, I think, which is a goat cheese. So one day she brought in a platter with the figs with the goat cheese on it and the prosciutto, Wrapped in prosciutto. around it. Oh my gosh. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Gates also, if you ever get a chance. Uh, I had it as an appetizer at a place in Vegas one time, and I've used it again many, many times. A medjool date, the big, meaty, super sweet medjool, pitted, shove one or two hazelnuts inside where the pit used to be, wrap the whole thing, or like a sushi piece, with prosciutto, leaving a gap in the top so the prosciutto sticks up above the date, and then okay. fill that hollow spot with blue cheese. Put them in and put them under the broiler for just like, yeah. 30 seconds, a minute, just to let the blue cheese melt, just a hint. Holy Moses. Wow. Those are dangerously good. Dangerously <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds really good. So there's yeah. some tips, things you can do with fruit, cheese, coffee, tea. Always produce. 
produce, fresh fruits, dried fruits, and nuts. Man, those are cheese's best friends. And you know, a grilled cheese with some slices of oh. apple in there, like a sharp cheddar with nice apple in the grilled cheese on a really good sourdough bread with a double churned butter on each side. Oh my God. Mm, I'm there. No kidding, man. I'll tell you. Tomato, the, when, when it's the season, it's just past now, but in the season of tomato, tomato and cheddar, the, the combination of tomato and cheddar has been popular forever. Grilled cheese sandwich with, with tomato soup is still one of the most soothing, comforting foods I can sit down to. It's just, imagine, it, yeah. it tastes like home, you know? I haven't had that since I was a kid, but you know, it sounds very tempting with this cold weather these days. That's, so I'm going to have yep. to check that out. That's it. Like you said, big crusty French bread, a couple of slices of really, you know, you made your own thick slices of heavy duty, intense cheddar. Grill that bad boy with some good double churn butter, 84% butter, and slice of maybe a fresh tomato onto it, or better yet, just make yourself some uh, really good tomato soup or buy the best version you can buy. Folks, if you've frozen your tomatoes during you the summer, like I suggested, when the dry farms were out to freeze a certain amount, this is the time of the year you want to whip it out to make that tomato soup to go with that fantastic grilled cheese. Oh, wow. There. Mark Todd, the cheese dude, man, we love having it. It's been great at Mark Todd, the cheese dude on Instagram. Mark Todd, the cheese dude. It's been a pleasure again to have you with us and I'm sure we'll have you again in the future. Thank you very much. Dan, Dan and Guido, I, I, I love seeing you guys. It's been a long time since we got together, but uh, uh, old friends never forget, man. It's been great seeing yeah, you. Thanks That's again. Right. It's a real pleasure. And until next time, I'm Dan the Produce Man reminding you that it's always best when you get it fresh. And I'm Guido the Gardener, and I'll tell you what my Nona Bessie always told me. Manja! Folks, if you like what you heard today, stay connected with us on our Facebook page, The Produce Pair, and other social media outlets. Suggestions, comments, questions can all be directed to producepair at gmail.com. That's the word produce and the word pair, P-A-I-R, like a pair of produce guys. That's producepair at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll gather together again next week.